0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Crushing Comics. We are here with another episode of This Week in X. And in this episode, we are tackling two of the three issues of the final week of X of Swords. They are X-Men 15 and Excalibur, number 15. I am joined here by Tyler and Freya to discuss them, and we all give you a warning. It's chock full of spoilers, not just for these two issues, but for every X-Men thing that led up to this point, and maybe even some other parts of the Marvel Universe. You never know. So with that out of the way, Tyler, let me ask you, would you ever use a love spell to get your true heart's desire?
1: No. Why not? Because, you know, my... Eagle of desire is too big and is going to backfire like spectacularly for me. <laughs> I don't trust my ego. I don't trust my desire,
0: basically. And what about you, Freya? Would you, if you had the power, as Saturnine does here, to craft a love spell, would you make use of it?
2: So... Inherently, Love Spell is kind of rapey. Like, you know, I don't support it. No one should be doing it, no matter how much, you know. But if I have to, I would uh, put one on Magneto. Just
1: say.
2: <laughs> you know, just yeah. say. You know, but, wait, uh, but I would not. Like, you know, it's
1: wait not. Wait till, if kosher. we actually get so far down the road in our reread, wait till you get to the salvage Land Magneto.
0: Yeah, Magneto turns out to He's be just kind of a babe. Ultimately. He's still hot. Yeah. Yeah,
2: he's still hot. So, I mean, I don't... This is not anything to do with, like, his personality. You don't care about that. It's just, you know, the white hair. Silver the Fox. The
0: right. I mean, different, different <laughs> hero, yeah, but that's the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: So, look, uh, there's so much to talk about in these two issues, and I think it's actually probably a good thing to start with our impressions, just because... These have been; these are really dense, and we're going to try our best not to talk about X of Swords destruction here. We're going to address it in a, se- a separate episode because it's another two issues worth of content, and we know how long we tend to run on these. So, yeah. first impressions, Freya. Where what did you generally come away with from X Men fifteen and Excal- Excalibur fifteen?
2: So X Men fifteen broke my heart in tiny little Ooh. pieces, and I'm going to talk about that in detail later on like it really it's i was shattered like i was actually walking around like just like betsy and i'm like oh no mm. yeah just like just like betsy um but excalibur 15 on the other hand um mm. it felt like a filler between x-men 15 and x uh x just like you know sorry exasore destruction that you just kind of feel like a prologue to dis- destruction a little bit but some of the things does happen which um I left me a little bit more confused and I thought that, you know, maybe we can talk about it later, especially it's like when you make a puzzle, why are you shocked when you see the <laughs> puzzle as you thought it would come away? like, what, what was that about? Because, <laughs> hmm. but anyway, we'll talk about we'll it. We'll get there. So I'm excited. I'm super yeah. excited.
1: Tyler? Um, I actually enjoyed this, um, this week's issues. So this, you know, throughout the entire 10 of Sorts, um, uh, crossover, there is one week where all three of us love all three issues. And this will be the week. This will be the second week for me. So I actually love all three issues. I don't think everything works super well, but you know, I mean, I forgive some certain, certain things, um, Partly because I tend to nitpick things apart and that certain things, you know, should not bother most people, but it does bother me. But, um, you know, apart from that, I do enjoy it um, quite a lot, actually.
0: I, you know, I had somewhat separate opinions of the two of them. X-Men 15 was... Fun Because it's pretty much just a crowd scene with a lot of the characters that we haven't really gotten to appreciate in full in this. Mm -hmm. And I've been one of the people beating the drum of, like, it just doesn't feel like enough of an X-Men story. We've only got these nine X-Men characters, really, more or less, Mm -hmm. with a couple of, you know, Jubilee-type people thrown in here and there. And so I enjoyed the council stuff because I... It felt the council tends to be really good. Heckman does write it well. I think he leaned into the voice as well. And we're going to get into that at length. But it kind of was that to me felt more like filler. I'm on the other side from free. I was like, okay, so we got to see everybody talk to everybody. And then to me, Excalibur 15 was like, I can't say the word Excalibur today. What is wrong with me? That's like the third (laughs) time that I've heard Excalibur. Excalibur number 15 this is what I've been here for this whole time. Like, I really loved it. I thought it looked great. And I think that Teeny Howard has had the wrong cast all this time. Hicksman should step away from X-Men and Teeny Howard should write X-Men going forward. So Mm. that's, that's my hot take of the day. I just think, I think Teenie Howard writes pretty much everybody that she has touched amazingly, except for the actual cast of Excalibur, who blessedly (laughs) are not in this issue. So it turns out great. Um, So look, we open up in X-Men 15. With Cyclops and Jean sharing what would be an idyllic moment in any other setting. They're in this beautiful mm-hmm. waterfall pool in yeah. the middle of Krakoa, isolated. And Cyclops and says... the colors. The colors. Sunny Go's co- colors oh uh, my God. just are extraordinary. If you haven't seen Sunny Go on Aquaman, uh, the colors there have also been extraordinary. Oh, okay. But it really turned into one of my favorite colorists over the past year or two. And Cyclops says this fascinating thing. I want to hear Freya respond to it. He says, I dreamed of it, but what good has it ever done us? Which is a really serious sense that pervades this issue of, it's like a rejection of this utopian dream, one that Xavier has sold, one that Cyclops himself has sold, one that Krakoa has sold. And and we get a lot of Cyclops kind of deciding, nope, you've got to just be active. You can't sell a dream. Freya, was that part of your heartbreak here? I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves and go right to the heartbreak right away.
2: So yes and no. Well, no, I mean, yes, it kind of started here. I'm like, oh, you dummy. Like, you know, this is where my, my like you know anger started and then it just kind of see, like, you know, get to its, euphor- like, you know, it's climaxed in the whole um, quiet council scene because mm-hmm. it's just like, because I kept thinking about what Tyler was talking about that even though they have the island, they have everything it's not proper it's not perfect yet it just like idyllic from the scene of it like you know the view is really good but the thing is there's so many problems that they still haven't done that the like what he was talking about that oh this idyllic dream but they haven't achieved it so why is he already thinking about the next step like Mm -hmm. you know like why is he like already saying that oh we have achieved it no you didn't there's still so many things that's wrong so what why are you already thinking like that so i don't know i was like Ugh.
0: I was really close. what about you tyler did that resonate for
1: you um i read it differently hmm. how did you read it so hmm. i read it hmm. as i read it as cyclops hmm. basically saying that this was our dream our dream is to find a place and a real home for everyone and it The question of what good has it ever done us is more like, you know, um, have have we ever got a real home that actually protects us, that actually makes us feel good? Mm -hmm. And Jean was saying that no, but her no is not the current no. Her no was like in the past, it has not, we have not achieved that. But Cyclops then complete and then you know complete her thought by saying that. But here it is. Here we are. So we have achieved it here. And in this instance, I read it more like Cyclops and Jean, basically putting uh, putting the um, the interest of the nation and the family before themselves. You know. So um, it. It is. It is the concept of like you know, um, that the the home, the the country, the family unit, that unit is much bigger than the individual. So that's how I read it actually. It's interesting. Just
2: hold I... on to that thought about country mm. because that's what my whole, like you know, what I've been teasing <laughs> is all about. Just hold okay, on. To but that. before but we. we anyway. But
1: but before we get there. I, I'm going to ask the two of you. What do you think of Jean's post on this page? Garbage. Trash. Hot garbage.
0: <laughs> Is it enough that I we have, I her have,
2: have her notice.
0: in the miniskirt that we need have have it like stuck in her crotch? Like, Come on. For, for the character who like, turns I... out to be the only trustable, powerful character in this whole 22 she thing, can we not, like, have her, like, a pin-up and, and emerge? It just yeah. I, made me irrationally angry. What about the, 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 the
1: one that... where she had her, her arm on the waist and her, the other hand there? I was like, what what is so she doing? I actually...
2: I actually tried doing that in front of the mirror because, you know, as a woman, I figured that, you know, my body should actually move like that. It didn't. So, you know, but the thing is that, so, you know, I told, keep telling everyone that, oh, I don't actually like, you know, notice the art. I noticed this dress, like how it was stuck. As a woman, I noticed this because it's like, yeah. girl, please, come on, have some self, like, you know, you would, she would fix it right away. We yeah. would fix it right away. Don't, ah, uh, so bad. That was really bad. <laughs> I
1: know, that's the only, that like, I mean, art-wise, like, you know, I think this is the only thing, not the only thing. This is the one, one of the two things that I have a little bit of a complaint uh, for this issue. But we will get to the second okay. one later.
0: Well, I think my thoughts in this theme might, this scene might actually lead us a little bit towards uh, Freya's country rant, because mm. it, it really resonated with me a lot based on, you know, my current circumstance. You know, I'm in New Zealand, which has had the pandemic very controlled. And so, Internationally and from all of my friends and all over social media, everybody's like, "I wish we could move to New Zealand. New Zealand's got it all under cover, you know, um, all of these things." But like, there are still real problems in New Zealand that persist, even though it's free of pandemic, which I'm not taking for granted. But like, that doesn't solve the racism that's in New Zealand. That doesn't solve the income inequality and poverty that's in New Zealand. It does it, just because you have one good thing, it doesn't solve the other things. And that's not me saying that I'm not happy to be here or incredibly, incredibly grateful for the safety of my family. But in that moment of thinking that, like that it doesn't mean that I'm not grateful, I felt like I really, for a change, understood Cyclops. Like he's like, it's, you know, we always have these dreams and we never really quite get them. But it's like doesn't mean that what we had was bad. And I kind of like, that's was my own personal read. So we have three very different reads on the scene, it sounds like. Yeah. My read on the scene was kind of like, you know, it's, it doesn't mean that it was bad, but it's still worth fighting for the thing that we believe in, even if it was good. And I just think that that was such a powerful message. And it really kind of hit home for me from, you know, one revolutionary on an island uh, to, to another. So To another. <laughs> uh, so now we enter the Quiet Council, who has apparently just been sitting here enjoying their sunday brunch service this entire time throughout the crossover because none of them are doing <laughs> a darn thing and um there's a lot of dynamics so i first want to just turn it over to tyler to just talk about how long this scene actually really runs without getting into the all the matchups sure and then
1: faria can lead off our discussion yeah. on it i mean we basically have seven pages of council or you know three by three great and with only two rows combined into a white panel showing votes. So we have a total of like 57 panels of talking head. And yet, does it bore me? I say no. What about the two of you?
2: No, I, I mean, I've been, I've been asking for a Quiet Council miniseries since the beginning. <laughs> and this kind of solidifies it. Every single time there's a Quiet Council scene... It's awesome. It's amazing. No matter who writes it, it's actually amazing. And this was one of the best ones that we have seen.
0: I feel like there was like a little bit of scenery chewing that these 9-up pages can sometimes create um, because you don't get to show as much motion and so it just turns into still frame, still frame, still frame. I Mm. don't know that I was bored, but I do... I I get frustrated when people stick to strict 9-panel. So I think Mm. some of my reaction at the beginning of like this felt a little fillery to me maybe had to do with how the pace just got very regimented by having mm-hmm. it in nine but i'm just i just don't like three by three it's not my favorite so i think that's more of a personal issue than a than a quality issue but now let's get into the content for you yeah
1: for you
2: okay so this is i mean x-men 15 like you know or this council scene or everything that work uh that happened was actually my worst fear coming through. Mm. So my worst fear of like, you know, I've been talking about before that how difficult it is for me to read X-Men because as, you know, as a minority uh, person in real life, this is kind of like a, there is no escapism in reading X-Men or mutant plight because right. it just shows that they're being failed again and again, they're no matter, like, you know, what we started off with that. Like there's all these dreams, the dreams never come true. Now, when we came to Dawn of X, it was completely different. We are now in the competent porn territory where everyone is doing their job. albeit by failing at most, a lot of cases, but they're going somewhere and they're doing something. But then we come to this scene and then we realize that, well, it happening again because it's like this X-Men who are actually the worst thing that happened to mutant kind. And maybe this is my brotherhood of like, you know, brotherhood showing because every single X-Men actually agreed to the stupid idea of Cyclops going to save his dumb son like it has nothing to okay there's like four captains none of the captains are available to save Krakoa like none of the captains are available Cyclops is the last one to go magic is already gone Gorgon is dead and then we'll see later on Bishop is also gone there is they don't live leave any of the powerful mutant behind to protect Krakoa like I'm. The ones that are actually going against them are the villains like, or so-called villains, like so far what we know them as villains. It's actually Sha, it's Exodus, it's Sinister, it's um, like, you know, uh, Mystique. They're the one who say, well, what's the plan? You guys are going on with this ideology, which have operated this however many years that you've been a- around and you're just going after that. And then, like, and every single one of them, like, you know, uh, Nightcrawler's like, I'm going to, Kate, Kate, Kate Prime, I'm going to, Like, every single X-Men says that. And I'm like, wow, really, really? You're just going to leave your island behind like this? You're just going to, this one dream, one time you are actually safe and sound, or you are, and you're not, because we have already seen outside force can already invade Krakoa. We have already seen that, you know, things are not as good as, you as you think and then they're just willing to go because of this whole mentality of like oh we can't leave anyone behind yes that worked when you were five people in a school but you are not five people in a school right now you are a mute like a mutant nation
0: right and i actually ever growing right big make st- more mutants
2: yeah and i and and yeah, and then they're like hundred thousand something mutants right there, and they just didn't care about any of them, and they just ran after their son. And then I actually thought about Beak's children. You know, I thought about Beak's wow. children. I'm like, Beak's You're... children is in this island.
0: <laughs> I'm, At the point I'm that sorry. you got free to so- feel I'm... sympathy for Be- for Beak's <laughs> clan, you re- you've really gone you've really gone full circle here. No, I mean you've come all because, the way over. Like, here's the thing.
2: This or like you know, this they say that this quiet council has like different philosophies and stuff, but it doesn't matter because every one of those people who are actually here making good points are also operating under their own agenda. So they're not the leadership that mutants need. Like they don't have any leadership. And this is I'm like, this is why this will fail again. This 10th life of Moira will fail again. Because you idiots are just so idealistic, so tunnel vision, so stupid. I just couldn't handle it. I was just so upset. I was just so upset by it. And you know what? When we talk about that how Hickman doesn't know how to write character. He knows how to write character. This character, I expect them, every one of them to ex- actually react this way. And they didn't. They didn't learn what? anything, they didn't change anything. The same Cyclops who wanted to take kids to fight for Mutant Home in Schism now doesn't necessarily have to do that, but still makes the same dumb choice. I'm just whatever.
0: And Xavier, well, we'll get. We're gonna go um, yeah. group by group and talk about some of these combinations. But but let's continue the general talk first. I, the thing I I would want to insert there because even though it comes after these pages, I think it's incredibly relevant to where you're opening here. Is there's a data page that points out that the council's not only proportionally representative of the mutants that are on the island and their interest, but it's also supposed to be psychologically representative in some way, right? We tried to pe- pick the people who would react the way that the different sects and and factions would react. And it's it's just so interesting to reflect on that based on I think your very valid points. I'm wearing my Magneto. Has some belt. right.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, based on your very valid points, because it's like they it is entirely predictable like they it's almost yeah. you almost have to wonder to what extent it's a plot point that Xavier or Mora maybe even anticipated that X-Men gone to X-Men, right? It's kind of like mm-hmm. all the X-Men are like, oh, let's go X-Men. The first time there's a problem, we're quitting this. It's kind of like, it's this idea of like, oh yeah, um, like we're a couple and then you have one fight and then you you break up or like, you know, you oh, I love working with so-and-so, but then there's like one hard project and you're like, screw that. I don't want to work with that anymore. It's like, okay, here's the first actual crisis that we face. Like there's really a threat to all of mutantism here. And then all the X-Men characters are like, I'm leaving it's just it's funny to me a because I think everything you said was valid but it's Mm -hmm. also funny to me b because it's like it's almost like it was preordained like Xavier knew that the first time there was any kind of crucible that it was going to break along these lines and he didn't know what it would be but maybe you maybe it was always known that the dawn of x was going to have this version of the council and whatever it's going to mutate into is was always going to be the second step. I don't know, Tyler. Where are you coming down on? on I this mean,
1: I, 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 think that the council works precisely for this, for this reason, right? They, they, they split the group up into four different groups that actually has different interests in, you know, people with different interests that will protect Krakoa, whether it, it is because it is selfish, it is a selfish reason, or because it is, it is for the greater good. Um, each fraction will represent um the entire Krakoa um uh, ideology, and that's how it, it should work, mm. and that's why the council has voted not to go save the X Men, and I mean the 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 sword bearers, and also remember that um it is it is difficult, but often leaders have to work with limited information. They don't have full information here. They do not know what was happening. All they heard was Cable was like, oh, we are suffering. We are going to lose. And all they know is that if they lose, Arako is going to, I mean, not Arako here, but it's like the Ameth will be invading Krakoa. And so in that sense, the heroes, the X-Men, Um, will jump, you know, to defend the island.
2: But they're not. They're not jumping to defend the island. That's what I'm saying. They're leaving the island defenseless. They're going into a situation where they know if they die, they're not coming back. And they did it against the council's idea because they actually said, oh, okay, if you don't agree to me, I'm leaving the council and I'm going. Yep. It, that's what I'm talking about like okay then that's not leadership and that kind of leadership works when you are a headmaster of a school but it doesn't work when you are supposed to be the captain the war captain of 100,000 people that's what so, I'm talking about so
1: my point is this right If you if your home is a small island you will never fight the war on the island because that is the wrong thing to do you fight outside the island before your enemies invade your land. That is the way to defend a small place. You cannot be fighting um, in your land by waiting for enemies to come in. That's how Singapore fell to the Japanese in World War II in less than a week, because the British soldiers were waiting for the Japanese to come in and they came in full force from a different direction that the British was were, were expecting so so that's the thing right so you don't fight a war if you are so such a small country in your country you go out of your country and defend your your line of defense has to be outside the country to prevent people from coming in and that's how i think this the X-Men were doing. Do I hundred percent agree, you know, that's the right approach? Not necessarily, because I don't think they have a fully baked planned um <laughs> exactly that, that even in exactly yeah, they're on a
0: smashing ground. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. It sounds more like that, supermarket that's the, that's... sweep <laughs> than than a than a combat situation. Easy, we're exactly going to go down easy. the aisle with all the most expensive olive oils and just get them into the cart. You know, like it doesn't feel like.
2: <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, it's like, yes, I, like, you know, there's like a war. If they was like, okay, no, I, I have this plan. And then if he was presenting the, what, the, the very valid points that you were presenting, Tyler, that we cannot defend. But that wasn't it. Their entire choice was made out of emotion. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Their entire choices were made out of emotion, made out of that, oh, my son Cable is stuck there. It's not necessarily the sword bear. It, like he mm. wasn't going there for eight Right, he it was,
0: was
2: a lot of like, it was all I mean, about his his own emotion. Because well, even even like, you know, Shaw says like, oh, yeah. my sympathy, but please lead with that. Like, yeah. you know, that, yeah. oh, we're losing. that And that to me, that, like, his behavior from that point of view really annoyed me. And I'm like, oh, my God, these idiots are going to be the end of Mutants
0: again. For yeah. those again. of you keeping score, Freya like, has now sympathized with both Beak and Shaw in the Shaw. same episode of this program. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, exactly. So, like, But here's, yeah. I, you know, I like, at, uh, at the risk of stating something obvious before, and we are going to mm-hmm. get into the matchups at this point. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people have liked Hickman's X-Men. Some people haven't. I think we've trended a little bit more towards haven't as a, as a group. But I think that part of it is that Hickman is trying to write very specific situations that will resonate for some and may not resonate for all. Some people mm-hmm. really resonated with the um, Give Me Back My Wife with Mystique, right? Some people really resonated with The Crucible, with seeing the Guthrie child fighting apocalypse. Some we worked. Some of those worked for us, some of those didn't. Here, we're really getting something that's about kind of emotional choices versus rational choices, kind of about, you know, being the minority and being oppressed, things about being on an island and how idyllic it may be that resonates really strongly with this particular trio of people. You know, we've made the point in the past, um, we're all immigrants here on this show and we all are coming to X-Men often with that that perspective. And I just think that X-Men 15 is like one of the issues that hits us really square in the gut Clearly, based on the amount of passion that we have in this discussion already on page, like, three. Um, and, and and maybe this issue fell totally flat for, for people who maybe aren't a, of a minority status or are not an immigrant or are not these other things. But this is a time that Hickman really got us. Bless him. He really got us right in the heart this time around.
2: Got us. Got us. Like, you know. And, 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 and also, to that point, though, we don't know what the long-term game is, right? Like, you know, maybe none yeah. of my worries are actually... You know valid like you know they, maybe they will come up with other ways we don't know i'm just talking about based on what i've seen <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like ugh, like this is not going to be good ending in a good way
0: well let's get mm-hmm. into some of the personal okay. dynamics here and i sure. and i we're not going to talk about every panel but i want to talk about some yeah. really significant head-to-heads so we start with xavier and jean jean says that she's been in communication and xavier is shocked that even that she was able to and he says telepaths even of your strength, shouldn't be able to span that (laughs) chasm. And you get this initial um, kind of like um, the student and the pupil, but also these are kind of the two steely hearts of the X-Men, right? Xavier's not usually leading the battle, even when he's doing it to me, my X-Men. Jean is not always in the front of the battle, although sometimes she is. Uh, Any thoughts on kind of Jean and Xavier's face-off here before we get deeper into these discussions?
2: So was he talking about that her like you know, like what does he mean by that? <laughs> That's when I don't know where is it com- where was it coming from? That with your power, like is saying he saying she has less or more? Well, her- or she like always tend to faint after
1: she. <laughs> I, I mean, her- I did kind of,
0: kind of, I did kind of get that impression. Like it made me think back to Hox Pox mm. where she's like basically sent on that space mission just to be a human receiver, right? Like she's yeah. just there mostly to keep in contact and transmit their their thoughts back. And like Xavier's. And what did th- M tell her? Yeah, no, it's try harder, Marvel Girl. Yeah. One of our fi- one of our <laughs> mottos here. But um, but actually, in the span of Dawn of X, we've seen her put on the Cerebro helmet. We've seen her mm-hmm. make really tough choices in X Force, and it almost seems like it's like echoing that same like Xavier expecting Jean to be subordinate to him in some way. But also that Xavier, even though he does have a child, um, doesn't really understand that steely resolve that Jean has both in a maternal way although she's never actually personally born a child but she has those memories very complicated mm-hmm. um, but also the yeah. way she's always been ever since Uncanny X-Men 99 Jean's always been like this um, and it, it just was really interesting to me like no Xavier wouldn't have been the one to get in the co- cockpit it was Jean like no Xavier's not going to go on the rescue mission it's Jean like they're actually similar mm-hmm. but they're very very different no,
1: yeah I agree right. I mean I I, I feel like I mean, for 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 my read was more like Xavier was surprised that you know um that that Jean could breach Jean and Cable could bridge the, the 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 um other world you know into the other dimensions yeah and maybe he's thinking that even I couldn't do it or something like that um yeah but I mean I I did not see it um I did not see it as putting down Jean he's just like asking a question say oh i'm surprised you know even though you have your your power is that high um i did not expect you to be able to do mm. it
0: so the next one that i thought was interesting and we've already touched on this so we might have a lot more to say but shaw mm-hmm. versus gene and scott with the whining about their personal misfortune it's so i mean shaw, shaw, is shaw was right. right Shaw was totally right
2: shaw is well, totally right it's like Idiots! Think that's, about rest of us dummies on the island.
1: That's, like, that's why Scott has no retort. He was just glaring <laughs> at him. He's like, damn it, you're right. but And, and he can't say anything. Look at him. He's just like glaring yeah, and- at him. <laughs>
2: And then he's supposed to be the commanding captain. I yeah. mean, that's one of the reasons. I'm like, he's he's not fit for that role at all. Oh, God. I mean,
1: this oh, happens anyway. a little bit later in the council, but like, even Shaw was trying to grab seats. I think he's making a lot of sense, right? He's he's just saying that, you know, as the generals, as the government of Krakoa, you should not be at the, at the front line, especially to Jean. Not so much Scott, exactly. but Scott because Scott is the captain, so he, he should be on the front line, but not Jean. Well,
0: and Shaw has like a certain Isn't that- stopped clock is right twice a day aspect to him where it's like, you know, he doesn't have the best interest of, of Krakoa in mind. He would let the no. whole island burn if he could go off and do whatever it is that he wants to do. And yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. No? You don't no, think no. he would? He, he
2: would burn the island himself but
1: he wouldn't watch the island. Burn. He wouldn't let Remember, anyone else burn it.
2: Yeah, he he wouldn't let anyone else burn it.
1: Only if he it was him. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: But it also yeah. belies that Shaw <laughs> Stra- as much as we love to hate Shaw, there is a certain rationality to the way that he works strategically. Like he works mm-hmm. backwards from a goal and he's been thwarted many many times in X-Men history. But it's kind of like I I almost saw him and Cyclops and Jean in that panel where they're sandwiching him of them trying to be like we're we're reacting to this moment we've got to react to this moment and Shaw's almost like have you thought about what you're trying to get to at the end and, and worked your way back because that's what yeah. he's doing right now and it's probably going to wind up with him dead we all hope when Kate kills him but like at least he's working backwards and now, and now he's sitting next to Kate going well damn that didn't work out so well and he knows yeah. he's screwed but he's still kind of working backwards from his end goal that's, that's mm-hmm. what I got there all right. So right. so the next one here, uh, which happens a few times, but we can talk about them all together under this headline is Magneto and Scott. Magneto and Scott. Magneto starts with, can I assume you have a course of action in mind? But Magneto, um, <laughs> I, I'll i leave it to the two of you. I thought they were probably my favorite interaction in this whole thing as we keep returning to them
1: throughout the scene. Well, like, before, yeah, so before Magneto... we get into the, the meat of it, can I can I ask... If the two of you think that the camera angle for Magneto seems weird. That all of a sudden he's he's like reclining on the And Yeah, and and his (laughs) back is facing Gene and Scott. So why is he talking to Krakoa? I you know what I mean? Be- because uh, Azrar yeah. didn't plan out his sight lines very well. Yeah this this was the part which I was like, wait, what? What? Why is Benito suddenly like leaning against the the table and and his back is towards them?
0: Yeah, it would make more we sense also, if he'd come talk- around the front of the table yes. to, to be in the center. But it, th- it actually doesn't really make very much
1: sense at all now that I'm looking at yeah.
0: it. Yeah. But we closer. we
2: talked about it before. I think Azrar is not very good at like plotting where everyone is like mm. there was wasn't there another episode we talked about where it's like it, did, it really didn't make sense who was talking to who like i think x men 12 uh, we, no sorry x men
1: 14 14 or one of them maybe. yeah one of 12 them 12
2: or 14 like i know
0: we them. discussed
1: yeah, this before okay. so yeah. while Magneto's yeah, talking so just, to a wall <laughs> so he, uh, Krakoa. yeah Krakoa yes. is behind him yeah
2: so as he's talking to Krakoa um the thing is he i think he was trying to push them into like have a plan, have Mm -hmm. a better plan, or like, you know, you were the dumb captain of this dumb island, have a plan, you know. But then, in the end, he was also like, you know, he has valid points most of the time, but then he was like, oh, good boy. After, you know, he was all swayed by, what is that about? He's the one, he's like the master of like, you know, like, uh, greater good. He's the, he's, like, you know, he's the one who's all about, you know, few mutants dying for greater good and all of that. And suddenly he's like, good boy. Like, ah, whatever. <laughs> you know, I... I don't want to do the golf potion on him, though.
0: <laughs> I, uh, maybe I'm just reading really deep, too deeply into this, but I really saw this almost as a reminder that even though Xavier thinks of Cyclops as his son, Cyclops is actually the Magneto. Like, he is he became a revolutionary and he had that connection with Magneto throughout Bendis' X-Men. And like, even though Cyclops is trying to appeal to, or I mean, Xavier's trying to appeal to Cyclops as like, son, this, son, that like Xavier and Jean are, are the analogous set. Magneto and Cyclops are the analogous set. And I almost felt like I could feel Magneto's eyeline, like, crossing Xavier's eyeline and maybe that's why I did like that panel even though I didn't think of like where Magneto was in the space because it felt like he was trying to establish his own connection with Scott and say something to Scott that was different than what Xavier was saying. And Magneto was kind of, as a retort to the Shaw situation, right? To remind Scott, like, when we do these things, we have a plan, what's your plan? And it was almost yeah. felt like a like business coaching, like rather than Z- Xavier, who's very much like a stern father, Magneto is like trying to be like, put it together yourself, Scott, like explain to us what your plan is. And I felt mm-hmm. like their pride at the end with the good boy was actually two totally different kinds of pride. You know, like Xavier was proud of how he's raised Scott, but magneto is proud of who scott is and it struck me as like two totally different sentiments from these two guys sitting right next to each other i mean the free is not feeling we, it she's not, Mike. Yeah. she's not no,
2: buying my yeah no neither neither should be proud of this <laughs> like this is what they have picked for their commanding captain no i mean both of them should be like i'm not, saying any, any yes. <laughs> I'm not saying any no. of them
0: are making good decisions i'm not
1: saying any of them are making good decisions when when you put it that way, I kind of like uh, oh yeah. I mean, you know, it, it didn't occur to me that no, way. It isn't. But when the two of them smile right at the end, I was thinking like well, it's plausible deniability. So if Section 9 starts coming <laughs> and it's like, why why did you guys break the rules? And it's like, and well, like we didn't. What? We didn't. <laughs> we, didn't <laughs> you know, we didn't break any rules. Yeah, talking we didn't about? break any rules. <laughs> we, we were sitting here the entire time you were like you know rig- <laughs> rigging the competition we didn't do anything
2: exactly yeah. because
1: it's hard
0: to think of magneto not going right like I, I i almost was like after they all said oh i guess we're gonna have to say yeah. that Magneto's gonna be like sorry fools like i'm gonna go with them because it's such a magneto move and it just it felt yeah. like very passing the torch to me of magneto's like I, I actually belong at this table now but you can go scott yeah and I, I don't know i just i, I apparently but I like look things. here's me having feelings about cyclops what is happening <laughs>
2: I know, what is happening to us? I have become Peter, like, you know, I'm just like hating every decision that was made. Peter's like having thought about Cyclops, and Tyler is
0: still Tyler. Tyler still is. I don't it. know.
2: Maybe we'll have, like, you know, so look Maybe Tyler will have upset about
0: something. So look, there's it. three smaller ones that happen. And I don't. Yeah. Want, we don't have to talk about every panel, but I just want to yep. see if anybody has anything to say about them. We have this wonderful sinister to Exodus exchange and then to Scott, what happens if you fail, but also Sinister's just mocking Exodus. Yeah. Um, following up on their plumage discussion. Uh, Kurt, you know, finally being like, where, where have I been all this time? And then it just yeah. flat moving away from me immediately. <laughs> and then also um kate being like finally i can get in on the action and then cyclops um which i took tyler pointing out to me earlier today just straight up bald-faced lying to her that she would have to go through a gate in order to keep her there on the council when in reality he already knows he's not going to go through a gate any thoughts on this middle this juicy middle of the uh of the scene here
1: well, one one uh, thing is about Sinister's the 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 close up on Sinister's smile, and Ashra drew 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 him with like the gums showing, and it looks almost like you know he he has pointed teeth like you know he, like he used to have.
0: Yeah, that's how he was drawn back in the day. He he was more much more monstrous because Claremont yeah. pictured him as a mon. No, yeah. but he had like jagged pointed jagged teeth. Yeah, like a predator, yeah, like- you know.
2: yeah this is is exactly the yeah
0: you got yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. uh we're all showing our Um, teeth
0: for those only listening to this program
2: (laughs) yeah um so one thing i was gonna say though i i don't know whether this kind of comes out as of right now every single motion that was Mm -hmm. brought are all brought in by the foul aspect of the aspect of those council Yeah. No, and then it's just not here, even before. Like, you know, it's always like Exodus or Shaw. I agree. Like one of them bringing the motions all the time. What is up with that? Mm.
0: And also it feels like the power is like so shifted here, but really Storm is the only one, Storm and Apocalypse, but like Apocalypse is more on the villain side. So it's like not Mm -hmm. like the power is that shifted. Doug's not there, I guess. No. But like, it's just interesting because it feels like there's so much more of a villainous influence. But then you look at the one with all the empty seats and you're like, it's not that different of a balance than usual just with Storm and Apocalypse gone. And yet the balance feels really different. You know, like who who is driving this car right now? Yeah, I mean- because,
2: And that's what I'm saying though. It's because maybe the villains have more to lose because they are kind of seated themselves in this positions and they have like a lot more. In- that's what I'm saying. It's like, this whole thing is going to fail. Because these are the ones well, who are making sense and who are making the choices, and they all have speedy reasons.
1: Well, I mean, the villains definitely have more things to lose, right? Because in the past, whenever they are up to something, the X-Men's, <laughs> X-Men and other superheroes are against them. Now, the, X- the, 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 the Krakow is saying that you are mutants, you automatically get a pass. Until you do mm. something really, really bad where we where the country cannot cannot afford to protect you. Yeah. Right. So mm. so the stake is completely different from the superheroes, right? The superheroes are still superheroes and in fact they are now being viewed as the villains because it's like why are you in cahoots with Sinister? Why are you in cahoots with, with um Apocalypse? You know?
0: It's a tricky thing. I think point. that's why oh, it's different.
1: No, no. no, 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 no. I was just concluding, I said, I said, that's why I think the dynamics is different. Well,
0: and it's a great point that I think people in in the online discourse tend to miss when they're like, oh, they're associating with villains. In this setting of the Quiet Council, the villains have what they wanted. They They're in control of the world. That's what all of these villains have always wanted is some form of control. Go around to everyone at the table. Even Mystique, you know, if you look at the things that she's done, she wants a control. She wants a seat at the table. Well, here they are at the table. But that's not what any of the X-Men that are on this table have ever wanted. Nightcrawler, Jean, Storm, Cyclops, Kate, they're not people who want a seat. And Emma, who we're coming to now, is somebody who's kind of in the middle where she doesn't want a seat at, at the table. She just wants the table, So her motivation here is a little bit different, also because she's been in control before. She's Mm -hmm. been one of the leaders of the mutant race before in a way that none of these villains have ever gotten to do. And so Emma's approach here is like way more nuanced than theirs, and it kind of shows in how she sides with them sometimes, and how she sides with the X-Men sometimes. But like, no wonder the X-Men are leaving. None of them want this. Like, this is not any of their end game, and it's the end game of everyone else that's at the table.
2: And but the thing is, doesn't that show that how Professor X is the worst thing that happened to yes, mutants? Yeah, because he failed to raise leaders. <laughs> he failed to raise people who would lead mutants. Well, because and they only that's ever what put I'm out saying. fires. Like they're just firefighters.
0: Worried. Yeah, Ma- he does yes. have some so valid make, points. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So make them the captains. Make all but, of them the captains. None of them, like except for Storm, maybe. Maybe yeah. Storm would like. It. But the thing is, that's what I'm saying. It's like none of them. And I was like. Every time an X Men opened their mouth, I'm like, "Shut the fuck up!" <laughs> like because I was like, "Oh my god, you guys are none of our like leaders." Ugh, no, but but let's leaders.
1: give let's give Scott a little bit of credit here, right? The reason why I think he kept Kate back is because he doesn't want Emma to lose lose the power, because he knows that Emma and Kate are going to be important like it's important for them to be together
0: yeah because then it felt very they strategic can... like a voting yeah. block and and, right. and now we come to that you know scott and emma very yeah. winking very loving exchange between them oh my god uh just really loaded i mean even before we come to their final exchange you know he's talking about you know closing all the gates and mm-hmm. emma's like is that really a good idea and uh and cyclops is until the next best thing does he say until something better comes along
2: until something better. which is like
0: such a you know emma and scott thing especially because it's like thinking about them being together and then him being back with gene and like him saying to emma until something better comes along uh but then you know they end with him saying you don't really want to come like you're you're um fainting about this just like i am just like the other people on the council are. And it just really emphasized to me that Emma Mm -hmm. might be the one out of these 12 that I actually trust to get anything done. She's the only one who thinks about things other than just herself, even though she's mostly concerned with herself and this terrible haircut that Azrar has (laughs) given her. It's a crime against (laughs) Emma Frost. I cannot believe that it was allowed
1: by the other folks in the X-Men group. And also, I think in one panel with Cyclops it shows the reflection of both Jean and Emma. I mean, I thought that was like really brilliant because it's like, these are the two women in his life.
2: Neither, like he deserves neither uh, but the thing is, like in terms of the hair I was actually thinking that um you know it's probably like a temporary thing before the gala happens because the gala which we've been promised hasn't happened yet and this is probably something temporary that she's just just, just making
0: the, herself just the,
2: getting herself through this co- yeah it's terrible
0: I mean terrible. you know it's a it's a fine haircut on a human being it's just not The Emma haircut. Emma tends to have like a very... Anyway, we could go on. Look, let's finally exit the council and go on now to putting end parentheses on this discussion, coming back to these data pages regarding the X-Men. This page is both fascinating in terms of the story, and it's also Hickman specifically mocking me, I think. Because,
1: you know, he says
0: that um, the usage of the word X-Men is is outmoded and we're transitioning away from the old models of celebrated mutant paragons and here you have me saying I wish this book was actually X-Men. I wish there were some X-Men in the Sex of Swords. Like, I fully understand that it's being used as slang for all mutants. Like, I don't need it spelled out for me. But here's Hickman spelling it out for the people who maybe have missed it. But exactly. but also making it um, diegetic, right? It's like part of the story now, actually. We've been saying, where's the X-Men? Well, the X-Men have been saying, where's the X-Men? And Hickman's thing is like, there haven't been X-Men because X-Men are problematic. But here we are with Scott and Jean's faction, who I think, w- w- which Free would agree with, problematic um but here we are Scott and jeans faction who i think we could rightfully call x-men at this point this is the first time mm-hmm. that x-men have been around in 15 issues of x-men
1: no i agree i mean it, it is i i mean my my note for this was that hickman is addressing fans who complain that these are no longer x-men and he's saying that yes you're right this is no longer about x-men yeah this is about Kra- and Krakoa. This is about and a mutination. Where, it's just convenient
0: to call yes. mutants X-Men. that's a pure yep. convenience right
2: and that's why and that's why we are soulmates. We should be together. I'm using this platform as the as another you know <laughs> another request. because yeah. the thing is this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is about mutants now. This is about they, them getting their place in the world. This is not about X-Men and their sons getting kidnapped. We don't care about their sons. <laughs>
0: Well, we apparently cared a lot about this issue because, oh boy, did we really give it some due here. But it ends, you know, this whole thing is sandwiched by the fight between Apocalypse and Genesis. And Genesis takes off the Annihilation helmet for much of the fight. But then after Apocalypse prevails, perhaps not as unfit as she might have said he was, at the end, she puts the helmet back on, which leads to a whole nother, you know, level. And that's where we cross over here into Excalibur number 15. So Excalibur fifteen kind of opens with what has happened as a result of her putting on the helmet, which is that all of these monstrous forces are pouring through, and it's not... That was supposed to be the final fight, right? It was like, if Apocalypse won, the the team Krakoa would have had more points. The end. Amenth would have surrendered. Krakoa would have won. But no. Now that the helmet is on, it's actually blossomed into this whole war for Otherworld, which really, ultimately... Kind of for the moment invalidates the whole point getting in the fight because Annihilation has mm. said like, well, you know, there's no
1: rules and the points don't matter. Let's just let's just crush fight. you. Yeah. Well, it's just like it's just like when Satchinai snap her fingers and everything get paused, then interlude. All this doesn't matter anymore and everything just get unfrozen. You know, like right from the beginning when they were like all fighting underneath the starlight like, um, citadel where which is you know. I mean, I don't know about I mean, I kind of get where this is coming from and I kind of think, you know, that this is where this whole thing is going to lead. Um but can I make a small nitpick here? Sure. Like sure. I'm really I'm really, really upset. Well, not really upset. <laughs> I mean it just it just occurs to me that, you know, they did not cross out Death's headshot in in Cable 6 and then they cross it out here and then Red Root has been off the table for a long time and they did not like Right, because Red Root's like in a bottle thing. right now somewhere Yeah, they, yeah. in a terrarium So dead. basically he's yeah. like reduced in the terrarium
0: <laughs> and, but, and Yeah, but she's not dead Well, I mean you there's she, a question she, over there's a question over yeah. Sol- oh, maybe that's in the next issue but yeah, yeah. also like yes, nothing happens issue. with Solomon in this issue but the next issue no. there's a question mark Yeah Why isn't there a question mark? It's just kind of like Uh, You know, it's it's little things, but it also makes you think they put together this 22 thing. There was a pandemic in the middle. They added issues. It's kind of like, who knows? Maybe this was the one that was supposed to be an issue ago. And like, I, you know, I can, I can make some, I can make some exceptions. For the for the recap page at this point, giving how well coordinated the vast mm. majority of the rest of it has been, but it did it does kind of bug me because it's because it's there to help you understand what's happening, and so and the also, fact I that red root wasn't crossed out or question marked or something made me like look for red root in all of the panels and the yeah. whole issue, and red root's not there.
1: So yeah, well, I mean, and so, also if you go like, back to like the job of of a part of the job of a assistant editor or an editor is to make sure that everything. Flows well and there's no discrepancy, right? I mean, that's exactly what the assistant uh, editor said in in the six one six Marvel six one six documentary. Like, oh, my job is to make sure that there's no glaring mistakes, and here we are, page two, glaring mistakes. Well, I mean, you know.
2: Well, to be on- maybe to people who are looking, because I honestly thought that death is not dead.
0: Mm-hmm. He I honest, well, I honestly, genuinely. That. thought. Yeah, we'll get that. Yeah, I
2: genuinely thought he was not. Because Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, he's dead. He's death, So he probably somehow overcame the death world. And I thought that that's what was being... So I didn't even
0: know that it was a Yeah, but he's crossed out now. That's (laughs) the thing. Well, let's get into the actual story. maybe he died. Sure. So this is... this is what I was waiting for. I mean, I alluded to this at the beginning of the issue. It's, it's an actual fight. It feels like there's actual weight. We're getting a lot of X-Men, um, even if it's just the sword-bearing X-Men, contributing to what's happening here. I think Tower writes them very, very well. And it's sandwiched by this much more abstract desire by Saturnine, right? You realize that everybody's got something different that they want here. Annihilation always wanted everything. Annihilation, even though she briefly agreed to this tournament, it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter to her. This is always how it was going to end. She'd win on points or she'd win here, but she was going to get her way either way. Um, Apocalypse always wanted to be back with his wife and get his children back. Saturnine always wanted Captain Britain. It's kind of like you're realizing that this all was a farce in a way. And these, it's these three immovable forces and two of them are going to have to move or figure out a way to win by not moving.
2: from that point of view is actually very interesting like you know to when you read it but then I also have read two back-to-back Marvel events recently Infinity War and Absolute Carnage and both actually ends this way like you know both ends at like we are doing something completely different and in the very last issue we're all gonna fight and I don't know from that point of view it really kind of took some charm out of me Mm. but then there was like some some saving, like, you know, it's like duos ex machina. It's like, oh, okay, everyone is coming together. Everyone's gonna fight. This is exactly how every single Marvel event ends. Mm -hmm. And so from that, but the thing is, saving grace over here is the other things that you were talking about, that there's all these different character things. The characters are doing some weird, like, you know, some, not weird, some things in the background. That actually saves this issue for me a little
0: bit Yeah, more. In a way, it reminds me of Siege, if you've read Siege, which is um, yeah. the capper of the first part of Brian Bendis' Avengers and New Avengers. Mm-hmm. I have read it. Okay, and so we know, spoilers, at the end of Siege, you think the fight is about one thing, but at the end, Sentry turns into the void and all, and it becomes this other thing, right? We thought it was about yeah. Norman Osborn and right. Asgard and Loki or whatever. It turns into a fight against the void, which, to be fair, I would say the, the void is actually the theme of Bendis' whole Avengers run different show. Um, But you get this feeling of the rug being pulled out from under you at the end and that never... Actually, happens here this is the same rug that we had at the beginning we maybe just didn't see the pattern maybe we weren't far enough away from the rug Saturnine maybe you need a better perspective so before we get into some of the specifics I just want to highlight that Apocalypse is wonderful do not touch me human to Brian at the beginning ah! he, almost, he was missing princess uh, Brian the Brian human. the human
2: the human oh my god be still my heart Teenie like, Howard's you know, right this, here with I us mean, with
0: making the jokes she's she's
2: Thank you. Somehow, finally, somehow, someone got my message. Like, do not let this filthy human touch you. Ugh. I mean, so good. But what I, like,
1: but I'm like, going to talk like, about,
2: I was, I was. So, laughing let me
1: talking so about so the rug thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pulling the rug off. I thought, I thought the writers actually pulled the rug under underneath us in in the two um, issues that the the Wolverine and the X Force issue. Because right. it's, like, it's not the like, soft oh, it's goofy. Yeah. no
0: it's hijinks. Woo, woo, woo.
1: And this yeah. one is is really just putting the rug back. Back, like you know, this was kind of what we expected. So it, it wasn't that much of a you know pulling the rug out. It's like I mean, what do you expect? I mean, you expect the the whole thing to just end because you know a nice like oh you know you lost in an arm wrestling, you lost in in a you know in a, in an eating competition. Yeah, an annihilation. No. I mean, not going like, to Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, look, we, yes. get, we get three like, of the remaining sword bearers on the, on the um, Arako side who have three similar but distinctly different positions. Kind of, in my mind, mirroring how this has all come down to Apocalypse, Annihilation, and Saturnine. Now we get a smaller scene with War, Iska, and White Sword, right? And they're all just standing there being badasses. But War has the perspective of we're here because we have to conquer. The conquering's not done yet, so we're still here. Mm. Iska has the perspective of, we're here to win. We still can win, so I'm still here, which is different than conquer. And then White Sword has the perspective of, we were here to fight a fight. I fought the fight that I was here to fight. I don't care about winning this or conquering anybody. See you later. And so (laughs) it just was a really interesting perspective to me, because we've been seeing these sword bearers on that side as kind of like all just fighting the fight and doing what they're told. But this is one of the first times that I've really felt like the, the Arako side has been stratified a little bit. And you're like, oh, there's actually a lot of different philosophies on this side. We just don't know these characters as well. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, and I think... I do that... Go ahead, sorry.
2: Sorry, 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 no,
1: no. No, I was just saying that Like, <laughs> I, I find that the white sword has a very weird sense of honor <laughs> and duty. It's like, oh, you know, you, you asked me to fight and I fought. And I won. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I lost nineteen points, but I I, I won one point, so I'm done. You know, and and, <laughs> and that's it. And, it's like, and to
2: that point, I was I was yeah. just gonna say like you know, white white sold for uh, one of the captains in in Krakow. <laughs> I'm going to be rooting for that cool. because at least he has some like, you know, fighting, like, some ideas on what to do. Like, you know, it's just like, and listen, I'm not saying he should be the commanding one. I should be, I think, I said that he should be one of them.
0: Well, and also you think back to how they recruited him back at the beginning where they were like, you can have anything that you want. And he was like, really? And they're like, no. Or maybe that was, actually that was with Red Root. But I think the point Mm -hmm. still stands of like, he did, He got to come and have a fight against a difficult foe. He found some honor in it, and that's what he's here for. All this other stuff is, like, outside of his interest. Him and his hundred are still going to be standing against some yeah. dumbass invading army. Man. And it doesn't yeah. really matter if it's a man, the rock, or Krakoa. Like, he's still going to just be doing the same thing tomorrow. So he's, like, toodles. But it's also on Team Toodles, which is maybe where Freya was going a minute ago, is Bay? Mm. <laughs> yeah!
2: team toodles <laughs> bay. bay found love and you know what i am right that uh dog was a virgin he's no longer because the way <laughs> dog was so much into bay you know that our boy has lost his cherry and he had finally understood like you know what it's to like you know understood yeah. the biblical way of love and now he's all about keeping this other person with him this but, is exactly how first like you know first timers work i need okay, i need
0: but, our expert but... experts in the comments to to to, but, to specifically but... let Freya know if doug has had sex before i'm sorry yeah. that it's come to this yeah. but, 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 but this is, this is not but important this, to our to this our is inter-show my... continuity <laughs> and i don't know the
1: answer this is my point here right i mean yes you know they can be lovey-dovey with each other but there's a third person there the third person on his arm. Warlock yes. has been there all along. I mean, come on. Oh my god. <laughs> and, okay, we I won't discuss what Warlock says later on. But, you know, just remember that Warlock says something in the next issue, which I thought was going to be... Which is kind of creepy. Creepy as hell. Well,
2: that's it. That's the thing. So I I actually, like, didn't even remember Warlock being there until I read that same thing that you were talking about. I was like, oh, no, this is gross. All right, all right,
0: keep it together. We're not there yet. We have more of a caliber to talk about. But Bay Bay here, you know, basically storms off and we at first think that Bay is defecting, but really Bay is going back for Doug. Um, and, yeah. and Apocalypse and, and, and every and Brian, the human, think that she's coming to fight them, but really she just comes to pick up her little sweet boy and just and just <laughs> go random. off in another direction. Like and it's interesting because again, philosophical differences on team of mouth. Mm-hmm. Bay doesn't actually care who wins she does not care she's found this new sentiment this new feeling or emotion and she's interested in keeping that and to her for however long it'll last and to her doesn't really matter and we get more into that in the next issue but um but Mm -hmm. here's
2: and i thought by the way i just want to say it was i thought it was so sweet it was just (laughs) like you know it was just like you know they're just so different and they you know that this is not going to last you know that there is going to be so many other problems but it just like You know, like in a war there's like everyone's like falling apart, everyone's fighting around it, and this is what they
1: come yeah. together. It's and don't sweet. forget that back on Krakoa, you know <laughs> there is still Krakoa.
0: <laughs> right, right, yet another party in all of Doug's relationships. Yeah. So, you know, in between all this, we're intercutting to Saturnine, who's doing perhaps the most relatable thing we've seen any character do mm. in this 22-episode uh, epic, which is getting drunk and doing a puzzle. Like, what, what is more 2020 than locking yourself <laughs> in your tower and getting drunk and doing a jigsaw puzzle, right? It's like, I just was... I really felt that Saturnine was all of us in this moment. Yeah. And she's... um. And she...
2: Not to mention, she also has her pet
1: with her. Right, like pet, talking like to her a pet. pet dragon yeah. with these. These are yeah. re- these I, are relatable I character.
2: I can yes, it was yeah. super relatable. But it's more also. like, don't
1: you, you dare do that here! Don't you dare pout in front of me! I know. I <laughs> yeah, love how like exactly. Shogo.
0: She's talking to Shogo partially like he's a baby and partially yeah. like he's a puppy and like. That we've kind of just crossed over that he's like a baby and a puppy. And that's, I know. Like, is he ever going to leave Otherworld and be a baby again? I, who knows? Um, but it's really interesting because it interweaves this love spell aspect through the issue, which gets teased with the quote at the beginning of the issue, which mm-hmm. is the um, the quote, uh, mistake your desires for true desperation and a spell will teach you a lesson. And we just think this is one of these like toss away opening quotes as they sometimes can be. And we probably yeah. still thought that as we see Saturnine getting drunk and doing her jigsaw puzzle. But it actually pays off at the end, as Tyler tipped in his opening statement today. Do not confuse the desperation, true desperation, do not confuse true desperation with the ego of desire. And what she's doing this whole time on the floor is like hoping that she's going to put together a picture of Brian. How you don't realize that it's Betsy, I don't know. But her hope (laughs) is that she's putting together a picture of Brian and that you realize that one of her endgames this whole time was to shatter somebody, Brian or Betsy, so that she could get back the Captain Britain core. Yeah.
2: Well, in her defense, though, the spell does say you have to wait. So, you know, you have to take a step back, put everything together, and you have to take a step back, and yeah. then it will be. I think her nose started that it wasn't changing. So to that point, couple of things. Was her desire then all this time to have a Captain Britain? No, and- she wants him. The
0: yeah. she, wants six, she wants sixteen okay. Ryan.
2: Okay, so in that case, isn't it her sexual awakening that she's actually gay and she has feelings for Betsy? No, but, I'm confused. But like, what that, does it mean?
1: That is that is where the spell went wrong because is because you think that it is her 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 desperation is true, but when in fact it's just an ego of desire. So that's when the spell backfired on her.
2: So she's actually not in love with
1: him? No, she's in love with she, she desires Brian. You know, and oh, and she's mistaken she mistaken it as 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 her own true desperation. And then I I mean, it's just I mean, the way I think about it is just like a play of words... so that the spell will backfire on her. <laughs> like she yeah, she no, thinks that I mean... she thinks that, you know, just because I want him so desperately, by casting the spell, I will get him. But precisely because of why she thinks she will get him by casting the spell, defeats her. Because that's her ego talking. It's not her desperation talking.
2: Okay, alright. I mean, the thing is, like, I feel like someone like Satterdang will probably know those differences. Yeah, you would think that
0: she would be onto like... that. But everybody, I think the point is, like, yeah. everybody can be blinded by... by their own ego and by desperation right like she thinks she wants him so bad but um but even her plans can go awry but you know weirdly the character who pulls this together for me and it's the last thing that i have to talk about in this issue is jubilee right who is one of the Mm -hmm. very few people outside the swordbearers that have even been allowed to interrupt in uh, in the story Partially to get a shogo so that shogo can be a factor at this point. But we're really reminded by Teeny Howard of like, you know, Jubilee's there because she loves her friends and she loves her kid. And she's not just going to go away. And it's really funny because you would never think of Jubilee as this, like, mascot of persistence out of all of the X-Men. But here she is. She's, like, saving the day again. And she has this moment where she has to decide which way to go. And she says, let's hurry up and finish this. I miss my kid. Which is such a distilled version of what Jean and Cyclops had in the last issue. Jean and Cyclops, like, gave it the ring of, like, we're doing this strategic thing. Like, no, you just miss your kid. Like, whereas Jubilee because she's younger, she's not sentimental, she's seen this generation of X-Men mess things up so many times, she's willing to just come out and say it. She's like, I'm going to do some dumb shit now. I just want my kid. And I just <laughs> thought that that was so refreshing, but it also kind of put in perspective that like the the child part of this is a really relevant part of this crossover even though it's not presented as like a fathers and sons mothers and daughters crossover cyclops and gene and their actions that are about to occur and apocalypse and genesis and all the things that they're doing are very much echoed by this one panel of jubilee all of them just want their kids you know and and what's best for their kids which then comes back to the overarching theme of like is krakoa are we making it better for the next generation or not, right? Are we saying our kids shouldn't have to fight because we had to fight, but then did you actually make something better by making them not fight? So to me, that's why this one resonated with me more than the X-Men issue because I just feel like it pulled together a lot of the philosophical stuff that I had been missing this whole time by giving more... more agency to the folks on the Araco side and by giving me more people to bounce off of on
1: the Krakoa side. So that, there you go, end well, scene. And Jubilee also makes the decision to stay instead of going to a kid. She's like, okay, I'm going, I'm staying. Right, so yeah, that's should, what she should, decides should, to finish, not yeah. to just run off. Let's no. stay
0: and finish, this. finish I miss this. my kid to protect my kid. Which is almost and, the opposite of what Cyclops and Jean exactly. have decided to
1: do. And then she said something like, you know, um, this is, you know, if anything should happen to me, you know, you guys should take care of Shogo because he loves it here. And that almost got me because Jubilee has not been treated well in in the past, especially when they turn her into a vampire. And that was like the worst thing ever. So... Um, because the story was bad not because they turned jubilee into a vampire but
0: well because they didn't feel like they knew what to do with her it was like great now jubilee has vampire powers i mean it really got to me because you know again coming back you know to make this personal like here we are in new zealand we don't have any family here and we've made friends here but they've only been our friends for three years and we have a kid and like there's you know if something happened to us or if there was an earthquake and we were stuck downtown because there's only so many ways to get back here it's like Who does she even have? Like, I find myself having these tough decisions. Like, I guess she would, I would call a coworker. I guess we would call a neighbor. And I know that that's not just for people who live on an island. Like, all sorts of people move away from our family. We're all immigrants. We all have some version of this experience. But I just really felt it in that moment. It reminds me of this quote from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I'll butcher, where um, Arthur looks into Ford's eyes and he gets a sense of how far away he is from his home. But on Earth, you can only ever be 12,500 miles from your home at max, but Ford is actually universes away from their home. And I just had this moment of jubilee in that moment where I'm like, here's a sense of how far she is from home and any, anything that she knows that she says, Shoku could stay with you, he likes you. Yeah, It just yeah. really got me. Yeah,
1: exactly. And then,
2: I know, and to that point, I'm like, yeah, that's the best decision because Krakoa is not good for anything. <laughs> you know, it brings back to my point That it's not. And even Jubilee is making that same decision. I mean, but then again, we have to wonder who is thinking about Beak's kids. But,
0: you know. Well, that's the question we're going to leave you with on this episode. Because guess what? We have over 40 pages of X of Swords destruction to still get to. And this has already been a lengthy discussion. So we leave this issue. Otherworld is being overrun. Genesis has the Annihilation helmet on. But... Saturnine is nice and drunk, and she has finished her jigsaw puzzle. And so that's where we're going to pick up. Uh, Tune back in tomorrow for the following half of this epic conclusion. To X of Swords from Hero Crushing Comics, thank you so much for watching another This Week in X. If you want to see more of this, I know some of you are wondering, is there going to be more this week in X after X of Swords is done? We'll talk about that next episode. But for now, it'd be handy if you would subscribe. So until next time, which is a very short time away, from myself and my wonderful co-hosts here, Freya and Tyler, be well, and we'll talk to you again soon. See
1: you later. See you soon.